This is Karen with NewClevelandRadio.net, and it is time for Avoid the Maze. It's all about our journeys, our stories. And my guest today is Steve Gamlin. And Steve, when I read your bio on Podmatch, my first thought was, you know what? Your life is no different than anybody else's. We all seem to get to that point where we feel like nothing is right. How do we fix it? Um, And I know I lived the majority of my life that way. It wasn't until about 13 years ago um, that my youngest son, who struggles with being on the spectrum, said to me, Mom, your life is not as tough as you think it is. And I looked at him because he's always complaining about, you know, black cloud over his head. And I said, what do you mean by that? He said, do you know how much power you have to change your life? And I thought about it and it was like, yeah, it's a choice of saying yes and no. Mm -hmm. And not hurting anybody else, but making yourself healthier. So tell us a little bit about what happened to you and how you got from feeling down in the dumps to being, hey, you got vision. It all started when I was 11 years old. I had four goals for my life. Now, I've got a few birthday candles on most of your listeners. So number one, I wanted to be a radio DJ because there was a gentleman named Dr. Johnny Fever on a TV show called WKRP in Cincinnati. He was my hero. So I wanted to be a a radio DJ. I wanted to be a stand-up comedian because Steve Martin was huge at the time. And thanks to the love of reading and writing that my mom instilled in myself and my sister, I wanted to be an author of my own books. And the fourth one I wanted to be was a teacher of people, but not in a classroom because I had an amazing fifth grade teacher named Mrs. Farron. So I had all of these goals. And at the time I was popular, got really good grades. In seventh grade, I went to one school and 99% of my friends went to the other and my confidence started to erode. And I got just horribly embarrassed in the spelling bee that year in English class. And all of my confidence went. And from there until the end of college, my grades just tapered and my confidence went. And I just wasn't good enough, smart enough, whatever enough. And when I was 24, a friend of mine asked me why I'd never followed my dream of being on the radio because I was broken, depressed, living on my grandfather's couch. So I did. I I went to broadcast school that summer of 1992, got my first internship, which led to a job. And I enjoyed radio for 10 years. And I was so burned out, I crashed the entire thing. My radio career, my first marriage crumbled. I was $62,000 in debt at age 35 and had to move back home with family. And my first book had just come out. So I'd done two of the four (laughs) to that point. But still, you know, I made decisions and I took actions and I believed things that were probably not true about myself, but I took them that they were. And I just crashed my whole life because I wasn't good enough. In an afternoon spent hitting golf balls in a thunderstorm in August of 2003, daring the lightning to hit me because I was under power lines at the time, barefoot in the wet grass was the absolute lowest point in my life. And the next day, a coach I just started working with asked me when I retold my version of that hour, making it as funny as I could, 
You ever thought of being a motivational speaker or a stand-up comedian? He didn't know the goals, but he saw that in me like my other friend saw the radio thing. And that started the ascent out of the ashes. Now at age 55, this is the happiest version of me there's ever been. 16 years in love with my sweet, beautiful Tina. I always point upward when I'm on interviews because her <laughs> office is right above my recording studio. But it's all the decisions. And if you can't see it in yourself, put faith in the people who see greatness in you and believe them until you believe yourself. And that's that's the highlight or the lowlights, depending on how you look at it, of how I got here. But I'm grateful every single day for every single one of those moments, even the low ones that did a lot of damage, but got me here. So I appreciate well, being here. And it is our mistakes, so to speak, that if we accept the fact that it's okay to make a mistake, but learn from it, go back and look at it, say, what could I have done differently? And maybe the mistake is not yours. Maybe it was somebody else in that realm that you were working in. And if you understand what happened and how you can change that, then we become a better version of ourselves. And it's funny how much you and I have in common. We've never met before, but I wasn't 11 years old when I made my decision, but I was 15 or 16. And I realized that I felt that I had experiences and I would have more experiences and I wanted to talk about them. So I wanted to go into broadcasting, didn't know what area, but that was my dream. And when I graduated high school and I told that to my parents, they said, no, you can go get a teaching degree. We'll pay for that because women aren't going to make it in the industry. And my father sat me down one night and he watched one news channel after another. And he said, you tell me where the women are. And I said, but could I be the first? Now, my parents were always positive people. But at that time, my father said, no. And it crushed me. But I went to college, didn't tell them what courses I was taking. <laughs> I got my associates in broadcasting and they pulled me out of school. Wow. But that dream was still there. And no, I didn't end up on somebody's couch. I didn't know I was broken. Until my youngest son was graduating high school. He was going to go to college and follow his dreams. And it hit. What about me? Mm. So when you were guided to like, okay, take this chance. Did you ask for assistance or did you just do it on your own? For the first part, when I was going to pursue getting into radio, I borrowed $4,000 from my grandfather because I had no credit. I had no cash. I was just broken, depressed on his couch. And he put his faith in me and we took a ride to the bank. And um, 
I paid him back. It took a long time to pay him back because radio doesn't pay well, <laughs> but I paid him back. And in the second case, uh, after the golf balls in a thunderstorm, I just jumped because I shared with my coach. I said, those two things have been on my list to do since I was 11, but I have no idea how to pursue them. And on his desk in the junk mail pile was a brochure from a local community college that had an intro to stand-up comedy class that started two weeks later. I mean, had he thrown this out, this we wouldn't be here. Yeah. But it was on his desk. And I think it was $45 for the course. So, you know, I could cover that. And stand-up, uh, that was stand-up comedy. But also he said, have you ever heard of Toastmasters? They can help you to craft your stories. He goes, you're really good. You got the juice. He goes, just fine too. So a week after my first comedy class, I was in Toastmasters, which cost very little to be a part of. So the financial hit was easier on the second time around, but I just jumped in with both feet on fire and said, oh, I'm doing this. And the, my favorite part of it, and it came to light recently during uh, an interview, my friend when I was 24 and that coach had the same first name, Daniel. Interesting. And a host said... Well, it's like a guardian angel Daniel. Do you have any idea what the guardian angel Daniel means? And I said, no. And I looked it up and I just got goosebumps up both arms. I love this part. The guardian angel Daniel is all about delivering eloquence. He is the guardian angel of musicians, painters, speakers. And he encourages people and gives them the confidence to share their story. That's basically what the guardian angel Daniel is all about. And, uh, I had two of them show up because maybe I didn't get the lesson the whole way the first time around because I didn't use my voice on air on radio until the eighth year of my career. So while I was there, I wasn't fully there yet. So, you know, dispatch another angel named Daniel <laughs> to kick this boy in the butt <laughs> and in, get him to follow his dream. And that's what a lot of us need. And that's why coaching, I believe, is so important. You know, um, I've been podcasting for almost 10 years. I've been asked over the last 10 years, with your degree, with your interest, why aren't you coaching? And I said, no, I'm going to leave that to the people out there who are so much better than me. And then in April, I don't know what came over me, but I woke up one day and I sat down at the computer and I said, Okay, I took a certification course two years ago, but I just did it for me. Mm -hmm. But you know what? This isn't just for me. Today I'm announcing I am available as a coach. And I realized why I needed to do that. And it's not for the clients. It's for me. Because yeah. if I can continue to be a better version of me, by osmosis, people are going to feel that. Mm. But when we're feeling for the first 60 years of our life, I'm just doing what I have to do just to get by. You know what? You wake up one day and you go, isn't there more? So um, not only did you like fizzle, but you lost a marriage in mm. all of this. That's almost like losing half of your body, whether mm -hmm. the marriage is good or not. I've been there. Half of you is gone. So how did you get through 
all these things that just kept piling on top of you. Uh, I refer to it now, one of my uh, stage stories, one of the earliest ones that I still get requested to share a lot. It's called Some Days Your Phoenix Rides a Pogo Stick. Because, you know, we fall in the ashes and everybody thinks when you put it back together, it's like Hollywood. You know, you rise out of the ashes and the clouds part and the angels go, ah, yeah. and the hero is fine. Nope. <laughs> so what I decided to do when I landed, I actually moved back to my dad's house where we just built a recording studio for me in, in his basement. And he said, why are you getting an apartment, bud? He goes, you're here working seven days a week downstairs. Just grab the spare room down the hall. At first, I thought felt like the biggest loser in the world, but it very quickly turned out that that was a blessing because his health started to go downhill shortly after. So me being there was a blessing, and it shifted my thoughts and my view of myself. Yes, my career blew up, but now I've got a recording studio where I can share my voice. Okay, that's one thing. Yes, my marriage fell apart, but I wasn't the best person in that marriage, not for cheating or being abusive or anything like that, but I was very non-confrontational. And when the challenges and the mismatches of energy started to get even more apparent over the years, I never said anything. I just sat on it, sat on it, sat on it, and finally it just blew up and we split up. So I started putting pen to paper and said, look, I want to create the best version of myself. And I listened to a lot of recording CDs at the time, read a lot of books, wrote a ton. And my coach at the time asked me if I'd ever heard of The Secret, which had just come out on DVD, which talked about the law of attraction, which I was very fascinated with because I'd already been on a personal development journey at that point for about 18 years. And out of the 98-minute DVD of The Secret, I saw three minutes of this guy named John Asaraf, who I'd never heard of, talking about vision boards. And I was so fascinated by that, where you can see something, figure out what it actually is for you, and then pursue your way to it and build an action plan and surround yourself with all this. So that little tiny nucleus of fire is what got me through everything. And I was so fascinated by that. I wouldn't buy anybody else's program because I think a lot of the programs that are out there, especially by the big fancy gurus, is just a bunch of rehashed garbage anyway. And I can say that because I've spent a ton of money on them in the past. <laughs> that I just wanted to figure out my way, my interpretation. And then, just like with you, I figured out I'm making the best version of myself. Other people started asking me questions and I started coaching them. So over the course of three or four years, I crafted the best version of myself. And then I went and became it along the way. Now, a couple of things were still dragging me down. Very bad self-talk. Very low confidence. And I just pushed through, pushed through, and some more angels came in and put their steel toe boots on and kicked me in the butt a couple of times to get me to change my behavior for the better. And here we are all these years later. And now the things I used to be so embarrassed about in my life are the ones that people spend the most, well, pay me the most money to share on stage to inspire other people. Is you there know, a better way? <laughs> you know, I was thinking before we got started today, my parents always said, don't hang your dirty laundry out for the neighbors to see. And that's stuck in my head all the time. And my mother passed away seven years ago, but right before she passed away, I was living with her. And I excused myself one afternoon. I said, I have to go in the other room. I have a podcast. 
and she said, I know you're on the radio, honey. Are you a famous broadcaster? And that day I just looked at her and I said, I'm the most famous broadcaster in this house. Yes. And I've stuck with that. And, you know, I was never one to tell people, oh, look what I did. Or, oh, I'm so good. Um, when I went back to college, uh, when my son was going to college, and I got my master's degree, graduated with honors. My husband did the same thing. He was so elated, you know, and he went through the ceremony. I did not. And he had his cords and it was like, look at me. But it took me almost a year to tell him that I had completed with honors. Because to me, I completed, I got what I wanted out of it. So here I am telling my mother that I'm the most famous. And I thought, I've got to do this more. Because if I don't believe in me, you're not going to believe in me. And that's what I was seeing in your bio, that once you got to that point where you could say, hey, I've been there. So I'm going to share it with you. And maybe I am hanging up my dirty laundry, but maybe we both have to look at it and see why it never got cleaned or why it took me 10 years, 18 years to make that change. Mm. It's a journey. I mean, we've both been on such a journey, but yet here we are on camera and a microphone talking yep. about our journey, not beating ourselves up over it, not calling ourselves idiots. I mean, in the early 2000s, which is when everything, when I blew everything up, if you looked back to those journals, you'll see a reference called Hurricane Knucklehead Category 5. That's how I used to refer to myself. Like I was the biggest idiot in the world. Matter of fact, I had three speeches at Toastmasters in a row that all had the word idiot in the title. And somebody pulled me aside afterward and said, Steve, you okay? I'm like, I guess, why? You've had three speeches talking about yourself and the word idiot has been in the title and you peppered it throughout. Like you're the biggest idiot in the world. He goes, we all look up to you. We wish we had your voice, your talents, your this, your that, your confidence up there. I'm like, really? You think I'm confident up there? Because I kept myself so small. I kept reliving those mistakes over and over and over and being brutal to the person in my mirror every day. And I wouldn't let myself rise up out of the ashes because I was, I, I didn't want to be showing off, but what I was doing was holding myself way too far down you know, going off the deep end of the diving board into a septic tank every day, I was just jumping into garbage because that's all I felt I deserved at the time. And then once the little wins started to happen through visualization and action and journaling and gratitude and establishing my core values and only living by those until they became so hardwired that I saw, you know, rising up, rising up, rising up, feeling good and looking over my shoulder every day to see how many more people are where I used to be whom I could help, not for the glory, but for the, the great joy of getting to the top of a mountain with someone else who can both enjoy that beautiful sunrise. And the, the interesting time. part is the top of that mountain is going to be different for all of us. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I mentioned my son and uh, despite being on the spectrum, he's very 
typical. Um, but it took him a long time to truly be able to say that because for so long he was told, hey, this is your diagnosis and this is who you're supposed to be. And he fought it and fought it. And finally, one day he just woke up and he said, I'm not going to fight it anymore because I wouldn't be the person I am today without that. So I'm going to make it work for me. And it was watching him go through that transformation that I realized, you know, me too. I haven't always, you know, it's not my place to always be the daughter, the sister, the mother, the wife. But what about what I want? And I've heard people say to me, so how successful is your podcast? What are, what are your numbers? And I look at them and go, that's not why I do it. I do it to meet people like Steve, to get some ideas on how he went from A to Z and how he's going to stay at Z or is he going to go back through and be double A, double B, whatever it takes? Mm. And they look at me like, I've got horns in my head. you you got to <laughs> be the strangest person. But the reality of it is, we each know when we're happy at the level we're at and if we want to keep going up. Yeah. And I'm sure you've changed over the years now, too. Your oh love my gosh. keeps changing. Yeah, I, I run into people now who knew me 15 years ago and they thought, did you get taller? <laughs> no, they go, you walk taller. I'm like, well, yeah, I know I do that. And I look people in the eye and, you know, I, I used to just hide in the shadows all the time. And, and I get asked every once in a while, Steve, who's your favorite person at events when you're on stage? The people in the front going crazy. I'm like, well, they're, they're great. They're cool. So it's the people who sit way in the back or way in the sides in the shadows because they're not confident enough to come into the light. And maybe they came in late because they sat in the car crying because they didn't think they were even worthy of being in that room with all those people. And what am I doing here? And I, I'm not good enough, smart enough, beautiful enough, strong enough, whatever enough. They're just not enough in their own head. And so they sit way in the back so nobody can see them. I said, I look into the darkness every time I'm on stage and I aim the most important things to that part of the room because that's where I used to sit for years. And that's pronounced decades my life that's where i put myself automatically so now that i'm out in the spotlight and absolutely loving it i direct my my best approach style material energy my heart in those directions all the time if i can just help one person to say well Jesus, steve did it i haven't screwed my life up half as bad as he did and he's up there talking about it and he's not embarrassed or ashamed about it it got me here it, it, it's part of the story. So I embrace it now to help other people and realize, wow, I'm glad I didn't stay there. Absolutely. You know, a year ago, I took um, a course of positive intelligence and I was taking it because a friend of mine was, was leading it. And I thought, well, I just want to see what it's all about. And I have to admit that this is a six week program. And during the six weeks, I was trying to stay back, like you said, it was online, but I was still like, want to be in the background. Um, I was fighting it. I fought everything that I was learning in the course. 
And then we decided that we would have a continuation of group meetings. And it was at the group meetings that I finally found myself coming out. I thought I was the only one who was fighting all this knowledge. I, you know, because I was seeing myself as being, hey, you're not as positive as you think you are. But yet I talk positivity. So how can I be sitting in a, a session about positivity, say to myself, oh, well, I'll never get there and just keep sitting back and back and back. But now on our review sessions on Wednesday nights, sometimes I do sit back because I want to hear somebody else's story. I want to get their energy. But I also realize that, hey, I'm not the wallflower. Okay. Mm. We've all had horrible things that have happened to us and we can stay there and cry over it or we can keep moving forward and we can hear how other people have done it so you got vision and i and i love i love that shirt um yep. <laughs> so when you are talking to a group how do you get them to find a way to find that vision? Because so many of us put on sunglasses and we don't want to look beyond the dark. Yeah. Uh, humor is a huge part of everything I do because I did become a stand-up comic at the same exact moment I became a speaker. I did seven years of stand-up. So when I'm explaining visualization, I typically start off with humor. I'll tell people, hey, look, who's ever been to a vision board party? And a bunch of hands will go up. I said, let me guess. The marketing for that was, hey, for $25, we're going to have wine, cheese, crackers, scissors, glitter, glue sticks, magazines, poster boards, and you'll create your vision. And the people are all raising their hand and laughing. I said, you ever heard of resolutions? And they go, yeah. I go, well, here's resolutions. And I hold my fingers like an inch apart. And I said, and here are goals. And I hold my fingers as far apart as I can get them. Here's a vision board party, fingers one inch apart. Here is an actual vision board program like mine or anybody else's that's out there. It's it's big because it gives you the nuts and bolts. I said, let me guess, how many of your vision boards were a Lamborghini, a yacht, a mansion, a private jet, a helicopter, a big honk and jewelry, and a bank vault full of gold bars? And all the hands, they're starting to go down at that point because they know <laughs> I'm just going to sledgehammer them in a minute over that. I said, that's what I refer to as the vision board starter kit. I said, but if you if you just say you want all that, but you don't know why and you don't have an action plan, basically you've just written a letter to Santa Claus. So my question is, what does just one of your goals look like? And then they start to talk and I go, hold on. That was a dramatic pause. What do they look like? What do they feel like? What do they sound like? What do they taste like? What do they smell like? What is the experience of, having or becoming or getting that goal how does it apply to all of your senses like how can you weave them into the wiring of this because all you're going to do is strengthen your fabric it's not just what you want to get it's who you want to become in the process and the experience of it to the very gut level and then ask yourself why do i want this and the stronger and more emotionally connected your why is the better and the more you increase the odds that you will be able to achieve it, or at least surround yourself with the right people, invest in the right knowledge, just like you did, like you're still doing, like I'm still doing, 
to get to that best version of ourselves and to be able to help as many other people along the way. What started as me putting my life back together has become a career for me in, in my writing, in my speaking. I created, I took all of my steps because people kept saying, Steve, how'd you do it? I kept telling people, here's how I did it. And finally, somebody said, you should make a course. So I went back to my notebooks and I wrote down all the steps I took, wove some humor into it and some stories. Yeah. And I created a program for it. And then people said, Steve, I made my vision board. What's next? I'm like, what do you mean? They said, well, do you coach people on this? And of course, when people ask us this, the only acceptable answer is, you know what? We're almost done putting that together. We're just about ready for launch, but I'm glad you asked. And then as soon as you're off that call, you write down, create a coaching program. <laughs> I love it. That's how we got here. You know, from it's we share our own journey because it makes us real. I I will never ever be a rah 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 by my stuff speaker on stage ever. I don't yell things that rhyme. I don't have thunderous music, lasers, fog machines, and all that. I, I'm I'm like an unplugged concert. I'm acoustic, man. I just go out there with my voice and my stories, all by myself, no special effects, and I connect with people. Well, and that becomes real. And I think in today's society, we don't need the smoke and mirrors. Um, I have a group that I'm I'm working with, and we've been talking about going out and doing a presentation. And I have one person in the group. Um, she sees this huge. Okay, we're gonna have big, huge auditorium. We're gonna have thousands of people. And I said. I think what we need to start with is finding a small organization that would like to invite us in. And there may be five, 10, maybe 25 people in the room. Or maybe there's going to be one because nobody else shows up for it. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And she finally has come on board because she also grew up that her vision board was the Mercedes and the house in Hollywood Hills and all these things. And she asked me one day, didn't you ever want that fancy car, that big house? And I said, for a second or two, but those were not, that's not what I was looking for. I was looking for happiness, knowing I can't be happy 24-7, contentment, and not be afraid every day that I can't pay my bills. Mm-hmm. And I had to figure out certain things. Some things was cutting some things out of my lifestyle so that, hey, you know, um, when I left corporate America 10 years ago, my husband and son knew that I had to do it. I was totally depressed. And my fear was, I'm leaving behind this huge income. What are we going to do? And my husband said, well, maybe I have to step up to the plate a little more. And I thought, well, that's not fair. And he looked at me and he said, doesn't make any difference if it's fair or not. We need to do this for you. And that's how it's been. And it's not that I don't go out and, and earn money on the side and things like that. But 
I've learned that there's a true statement, you know, when wife is happy, everybody's happy. And that's <laughs> when turned around. I saw my husband acting differently, my son acting differently, my friends looking at me and going, what, like you said, are you taller? Now it's, did you change your hair? Are you wearing different makeup? And the answer is no. But from inside out, I'm feeling really, really good. Yeah. Uh, I love hearing that. You you hit something really important in there, what you're talking about, where so many people talk about that fancy car in the house. The way I teach it, and I go back to a pretty standard tool in our personal development world of a life wheel. And I found one that I thought was really good. And I tweaked it a little bit for the way I teach it. So many people talk about that work-life balance thing, like work is one and everything, everything else falls into that life thing. Well, I teach it eight categories, your physical health, your emotional well-being. Imagine that setting goals for the emotions you want to feel. I do. Your relationships, your core values that guide your thoughts, words, and actions and direct everything you do by those, your faith and spirituality that pretty much do the same, but it comes from a different direction your connection with people in a real way, and then your work and your money. And all you have to do is if you set one goal for each of those areas per year, like, you know, some people say, I have a 20 year goal. Great. What's one year's worth of progress. Show me that. What does that look like? And they said, well, Steve, eight categories. That sounds like a lot. I said, they're all working together 24 seven every day. So wouldn't it be a good idea to have some say and understand this. If you improve one, it could impact all the rest. So if you just say, I want to take better care of my physical health, I want to work out, I want to, I stopped drinking alcohol 28 and a half months ago, not because I had a, you know, a problem, I wasn't going out and getting loaded or blackout drunk, but I had a very tall, tall 94 proof rum and Coke every night to relax. And that had packed on about 25 pounds during COVID because both of my businesses got wiped out by COVID. So I was home. So I decided to improve my physical health. Well, I got better sleep, started working out, started walking. I'm down about 25 pounds in that time. We got a Peloton cycle, which I love. And it impacted every other part of my life because I chose to improve one. So when we choose even the emotional one, when we choose to be happy, we get taller. <laughs> People think our hair is different. When, you know, we start to shine. And when we speak to ourselves kindly in the mirror and celebrate those wins without any old wiring of, you know, don't brag, don't ego, don't whatever. I get up every day now, thanks to Mel Robbins, who I adore as a speaker and a coach and an author. Within five beeps at quarter past five in the morning, my alarm is off. And then in my head, I go five, four, three, two, one, both feet on the floor, lean back, kiss my wife, Tina on the cheek, say, love you. She goes, I know. Go in the bathroom. Turn on the lights, which are blinding at that time of day. So out of one little corner of one eye, I high five myself in the mirror with the biggest smile on my face. And at 5.15 in the morning, I am off and rocking to my workout, which leads to my meditation, then my gratitude journal, then my office or my recording studio. I leave little notes for Tina on her desk several times a week. Love you. Da, da, da. If she goes out to get the mail, I write a note that says, missed you. And she's like, are you like a dog? <laughs> <laughs> I, I step out and come back and you miss me. And we just have the most incredible relationship. And all of these things are on my vision board 
our relationship was on my vision board three years before our relationship happened in June of 2007. I built it. I built this life in advance and I grew my way into it by seeing opportunities, taking actions and being very respectful of who I was and who I wanted to be. And that's, that's the importance of living our life to the fullest. So how can our listeners find you, uh, learn more about putting together a real vision board? Uh, as I've told one of my coaches, um, I always used to use my day timer, you know, that old day timer that we'd carry around, we'd write in it. Yeah. That was my vision board. Mm -hmm. And now that we don't use those, or at least I don't use those, I was using my online calendar. And that was the worst thing. I realized that about a month ago because I have to go through too many steps to find things. Mm. And so she knows that I'm, I'm trying to create my new vision board. I just don't want it to be a poster board. I want it to be something that's solid enough that says, Hey, you're not going to throw me out with the garbage next week. So how can we learn how to do these the right way or the best way? Mm -hmm. Well, when I say when I say the, the best way, it's always the best way for me. Sure. You know, people say, Steve's the only vision boy. I know I'm not. <laughs> but I teach what has worked for me. Um, you can find me nice and easy at stevegamlin.com, G-A-M-L-I-N. That's my website. And if you go up under the tab of what Steve does, the visual, the vision board you know, information is there. The vision board, the visualization coaching is there. And if you go on the vision board page and you click one of the boxes, I've got a free video that you can get access to. It's called visualize in five. And it gives the five most basic steps about how to understand what visualization is all about and how to get started. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm so glad that you joined me today. Me um, I think... I don't have time today because I'm back-to-back -back recording. Mm -hmm. um, as we were talking, I think I know what that solid thing is, which to me is like a cork board. So mm -hmm. I know that means I have to get over to an office uh, place to get that. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm going to watch the video first because I'm determined this time. I want my vision board to really have my vision and not a bunch of things that are going to distract me. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've seen on some vision boards that everything you think of goes on there. And then you look at it and you're so overwhelmed, you turn away from it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that I worked through when I first started. And now I've just created my most ambitious vision board ever and i've got all my old boards and i just look at them now and go oh my gosh that's adorable <laughs> it's <laughs> like if you put macaroni and glitter around the edge my mom would hang it on her fridge you know some of the right. early ones but now i've got them grouped so it actually tells one complete story and it's 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 you don't just get that on your first try believe me i'm about eight or nine boards in at this point but if you have any questions at any time with yours please reach out and I'm, I'm happy to have will. a conversation with you to give some ideas, ask you a couple of questions and, and to maybe guide you, um, you know, in the first steps towards that. Happy to do so. I totally appreciate it. Got vision. Love it. Buy a few more shirts though.
I will. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's only a couple that are in rotation in the studio and my wife is starting to get concerned about how often I wash them. So yeah. Probably a <laughs> good concern. Have a great so. day. You too. Thank, Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.